not ask. You really can't talk about privilege without talking about race. Bad, bad ass. Badass. We are the League of Badass Women. 10,000 voices strong. Female friends. Non-binary. Inclusive. Walking the walk, talking the talk, transformative conversations on gender, power, womanhood, work, the community, and back again. Perspectives from Boise to Beijing, gathering to radically redesign leadership. Join us and be heard. Welcome back to the League of Badass Women podcast. I'm your host, Valerie Orth. The League recently hosted a global virtual power talk about recognizing your own privilege and using it for positive change. In this episode, I talked to two badasses who share their stories and revelations from that discussion. Erliani A. Rahman, one of the badasses, born in Singapore, polyglot, currently residing in Colorado, is a child rights activist and lover of the Arctic and Antarctica. We were talking a lot about white privilege too, but... I think one of the points that also came out was how racism can be insidious and everywhere. So it doesn't necessarily have to be just the white person against a non-white person. Even within people like, you know, I'm not white. It exists everywhere. Pauline Goldsmith-Johnson is a social worker, a foster care reform advocate, and animal lover who lives in Brooklyn, New York. Here she is talking about one of the first times she recognized her own privilege. I was about 10 years old and... My younger sister, who is biracial, half black, half white, we were at a baseball field in our neighborhood in urban Boston, and we were playing with a number of other neighborhood kids and two boys a little bit older than us, maybe they were 13 and 12, came up to us in a very intimidating way and asked us to leave. And there were about seven or eight of us and two of them, but all of us were under the age of 12. And were swearing at us and telling us to get off their field that they wanted to play and they didn't have a glove or a ball. Like we didn't know what, you know, we asked them actually to join us. They, they said, no, we want the field, get off. And my little sister said, just leave us alone. And the older one said, shut up, you half nigger. I don't actually remember those moments, I just know that I stormed toward him. And my, I remember sort of hearing my sister muted in the background, yelling, stop, don't go, don't go. And I just approached him and I punched him in the face. And I've never punched anyone before and not since either. And I just punched him in the face. And then he just stood there like stunned for a good minute. And then they both ran away. And as he was running away, he was, you know, swearing at me over his shoulder. And I remember one of his insults was to call me Mother Teresa. <laughs> and I thought, how is that insulting? <laughs> <laughs> because I was standing up for my sister because he, he used this horrible term. And when I turned back around, my sister was sobbing. And she was about seven. She didn't know what that term meant. I'm not even sure that she knew that he was talking to her and she was more upset with me that I'd harmed somebody else. <sighs> and so that, that's always stuck with me for that, for that reason, that here's my sister who this person threw this horrible slur at her. She had either never heard it before, didn't understand what it meant, but I did in that moment and I was protecting her. And then she was angry <laughs> with me for protecting, I guess it was the way I protected her. But another point that didn't actually come up, which I thought was interesting, was gender. 
because for me, my own experience, I'm from Singapore. I moved here two and a half years ago to the US and I'm half Malay and half Chinese. But being a Malay in my society, it's very much gender focused. So as a child, I learned pretty early on that women would eat later, men would always eat first in a community event. Or I was asked at the age of 10 or 11 to give my brother rice at lunchtime, even though he was only one year younger than me. And I wasn't allowed to take part in sports. But that was a whole ongoing battle throughout my whole life. The privilege that comes with being a male in Malay society is just very much there in your face. Also because Malays identify mostly as Muslim. I talk to my friends here in the US, they are usually white Americans, explaining how I've come back from that kind of background and then now doing athletic pursuits. It's a far cry from how I grew up. I am working on skiing to the North Pole and then eventually South Pole, hopefully at some point Greenland. You know, my message to women is that you can do whatever you set your mind up to do. And of course, with certain caveats. People tend to look at me and then they say, oh, okay, Asian female. I was in Europe for 10 years. They look at you and they see the other and then this orientalizing of the other, whatever you want to call it. And I can see that, like, for example, I'm in Germany. I'm walking into an ice cream parlor and I can see the fear in the person's eye as I go closer. Like, oh my gosh, is she going to be able to speak German? We're going to say, and I'm like, and Google Ice Peter, like completely normal. I, I want to scoop up ice cream. And he's like, oh, oh, okay, here, here you go. And it's just that, that, like the not knowing about the other. And that creates a lot of fear and insecurity. And I see that a lot. And then as soon as I open my mouth and I speak, I'm accepted. In the US, it's different. I find it's interesting here because straight off the bat, without my opening my mouth, people assume I'm Asian American. I don't have to see where I'm from, where I'm doing, nothing. And, and that benefits me. So that's privilege here in that sense. I always have to say, actually, I'm not American. But that was positive for me, being here, that the privilege of being Asian and then it's, it's probably a, a much easier being Asian American than it is to be brown or black. So it's something I, I'm learning still and um, can be quite sobering. My own life experience has made me a lot more aware of how race plays a role in the world because I am a white woman adopted by a Jewish family with a sister who is half black. So I was aware pretty early on that I had a privilege they didn't have, that I wasn't going to be treated poorly because I'm Jewish, because people never assume that I am. And I'm not going to be treated poorly because I'm black, because I don't look black, because I'm not black. Those are absolutely factors that also drove me to social work school and make me want to have an awareness and have the tools to see the change that I want to see in the world, to make it a safer place for everybody. In particular, you know, obviously my own family and my loved ones, I want, I want them to be safe all the time, but to see that change ripple throughout the world. We discussed once you recognize your privilege, what to do about it. Being a white woman certainly makes it a lot easier for me to address racism among other white people. If I was a woman of color, it would be a very um, different sort of situation and might even put that person at a pretty big risk. My risks are a lot lower. And I think though those conversations need to happen between white people because it's these beliefs are, they, they live within white people. It's in all of our institutions and in all of our interactions in some form or another. So if white people don't have these conversations, then the conversation isn't, isn't moving anything forward.
So having those conversations with your circle, whoever that is, whether it's your parents, friends, coworkers, or even having random conversations. I mentioned being on a plane with a guidance counselor from a high school who was against affirmative action because she believed that some of her white students were not getting into the schools that had expected to get into. And she believed that that was because Black people were taking those positions. And I tried to dispute this with her. And I couldn't, I just, I, I couldn't get her to think differently. She was a little bit aggressive in her defensiveness. And I thought, you know, when am I getting off this plane? Because I can't have this conversation anymore. It's just, and I think I didn't really have the tools then that I have now. And I think the biggest tool that I have that I developed over the course of my time in social work school is empathy and not trying, not coming at it from the approach of schooling someone. No one wants to be schooled. No one wants to be told that they're dumb um, or that they're wrong, but just approaching it in a way that says, well, if you can think of it this way, or if you can think about it differently, or if you can consider that this person might've had a different experience it doesn't discount your experience. It's just adding to the story, keeping the triggers down and keeping, you feel yourself getting angry, take a deep breath. If you feel like it's becoming too intense, walk away, pick it up another time. Um, never do it when excessive amounts of alcohol are involved. <laughs> made that mistake a couple times. <laughs> Like with Pauline, I like to call people out on it and say, let's let's talk about that. Let's just not sit with our bell jars and engage with people who feel differently to us. Because sometimes it's not necessarily a thing about them necessarily having a particular viewpoint, but just not realizing what privilege means. I think my privilege comes from having traveled and experienced so many different things that when I come back to this little ski resort town, I'm just so grateful about how like a paradise really is. So a lot of my friends here are really kind of insular. They haven't traveled as much or they just have seriously in every way privileged lives. So one girlfriend of mine, blonde, blue eyed, grew up here and she said, I don't get the Me Too movement. I don't see how it affects me. And I'm just like, wow, I cannot believe we're having this conversation. And so I, I just turn around and said, hey, you know, you just got married. You might have children one day. So your, your children, whether it's a boy or a girl, do you really want them to go through what these people in the Me Too movement are talking about? You know, whether you're the harasser or the harassed. The light went up in her eyes and she went, we were hiking. But at the end of a hike, she turned around to me and said, thank you because, because now I, I get it. And that was, that was great. It was a good feeling. But it was really hard not to get mad at her. And some people just wouldn't ever put in that position of, of even thinking about it. It was just life. Just life went by. I work a lot in advocacy around foster care and adoption reform. Having conversations around the stigma of foster children. You know, they're disproportionately more black and brown children in care that are also then available for adoption that don't get adopted. And so, like I said, you really can't have the conversation about privilege without talking about race. There's been many people, white people that I've had these conversations with who will say, yeah, but I was poor. I grew up poor, so I'm not privileged. I'm like, but you're white. <laughs> so it's still better to be white and poor than it is to be black and poor. So just sort of trying to parse out in clear examples to those who walk into these conversations already defensive. One thing that I have to remind myself of constantly is just lose the chip on your shoulder. Just lose the chip. Just you're not here to change anyone's mind. 
you are a change agent, part of your job is to welcome everybody and to um, really come from a place of empathy where everyone is welcome, be a safe holding, we call it a holding space in social work and let people come to these terms in their own time. Because if you don't, then you're not really doing the work anyway. No one's mind has changed. No one's even absorbing the information. It's a very delicate balance. It's super difficult to achieve. And most of the time you feel like you get nowhere, but once in a while when you see the change, it's the most inspirational, powerful, motivational thing that can happen to you. And it just is a reminder that every conversation counts. It may not feel like it, but every conversation counts. And just having the willingness to do it is everything. I'm a survivor. I experienced sexual abuse as a child. And so one thing that you do as a survivor is that when it's happening to you, you learn to dissociate from your body and you switch off. So it's like a gift. It can be a curse. It mm. can also be a gift. And so now I incorporate it too. Like I can switch off. Um, and, and then learn how to switch off too. Like be, you know, be mindful, do lots of self-care, hot baths, walks. That's how I remain grounded. I never wanted to get into this work because I had been a foster kid. So unlike you, Eliani, I really just wanted to go to school, get my clinical license and like set up a private practice and just see like your everyday one of the mill average neurotic person, like that's adult. <laughs> that's all that I wanted. That was my life dream. And then I went to social work school and my final year clinical internship was at a public school and two of my clients are brothers and they're in foster care. It was one of the toughest cases I think I'll ever have in part because it was very triggering for me, reminding me of my foster care experience and just that helplessness. I was in care for four years. Their story, although parts of it were very different from mine, there was just that initial trauma of being removed from your family, not having certainty or stability or connection at such a, a time in your life when connection is everything, where attachment is everything, especially to a caregiver. It was really eye-opening and it forced me to reevaluate my experience and to figure out what do I really want out of this work. When I terminated with these two boys at the end of my internship, I remember saying to both of them, I'm going to fight for you. I'm always going to be fighting for you. I don't know how, you won't always be able to see it, but I'll be fighting for you. Sorry. Oh, that's awesome. And I walked away and I went home and I thought, I get to move on with my life. I get to do nothing or do something. And that's my privilege. So I decided to do something. We talk about privilege now, but a few of us have had backgrounds where we, we were not, our parents didn't come from privileged backgrounds. And then they came to a place where it was comfortable and got comfortable or you know, for example, in my case, my grandmother was an outlier, being slightly feminist and wanting her daughters educated against the wishes of her husband. My mom got educated, but she didn't go on to college because her father didn't allow that. But still, she was still an outlier in her time. She was the first girl, the first Malay girls in the community to have gotten educated. It got to the point where the teachers were marrying the girls because they were the first girls to be educated in society. It was just super interesting because of all these outlying factors, it's led me to where I am right now with more agency, more options, more opportunities. I look back now and I need to thank those women in my life who have made that possible. Yeah, I completely agree with you. That's exactly what this work is about. Acknowledging and understanding your privilege, knowing that someone fought for you to have it. 
Mm-hmm. And so fighting for others to have it too. Mm-hmm. And whether it's someone that looks like you or doesn't look like you, or you've lived their experience or you've not lived their experience, isn't the point. It's creating that privilege for everybody, for those who don't have it. Thanks for listening to the League of Badass Women podcast. Produced by and music by Valerie Orth. Mixed and mastered by Dismix. For more info, visit us at leagueofbadasswomen.org. Email your questions and comments to podcast at leagueofbadasswomen.org. Thanks again to our featured badasses of today's episode. And thank you for being a badass.